This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. I am a huge believer in brand and brand building. So, and I think you can see that um, with what we've built. I think that it is an undervalued area of the company um, for a lot of startups. And if, if overlooked, it's not something that you can correct. Like you can't grow a team and then get your arms around brand. It doesn't work like that. So to me, like brand is just the, it's almost like the visual manifestation of who you are at your core and what values you want to portray. And at every touch point that, a customer has or an individual has with your brand, like it should be consistent. This was Sally Christensen, and I absolutely loved this conversation. Unbelievably inspirational. Sally launched the D2C fashion brand Argent that is redefining the workwear category while dressing powerful women from Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris to Amy Perler and Aquafina. Enough said. You are in for a treat. But before we jump in, I want to thank Eldin Eminovsky, Kwame Young, and Nati Brondani for joining my monthly startup entrepreneur mentorship calls, and Dion Bonaparte, Humaira Akter, and Kristen Britz for joining the Creative Entrepreneur Group. Now, during COVID-19, this is free for any of my listeners to join in if you like to gain some of my advice on your own brand pain points or creative agency growth hurdles, especially during these tired times. Just head to patreon.com slash hitting the mark and join one of the two groups and we'll be on a free call soon. That said, now let's hear my conversation with Sally Christensen of the smart and fashionable brand Argent. Welcome to the show, Sally. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, first off, we are recording this on April 3rd. I'm working out of my converted garage, which now has further been converted into a podcast, quote unquote, studio. Um, we live fairly close to an airport and I have an alley behind me. <laughs> so no idea how this first podcasting from home session will go. But Things are not as perfect as we all like them to be, and yet I'm fortunate to be living through this pandemic in a healthy, safe, and in a loving environment. And I'm even more fortunate currently as I can be classified as a DINK, which stands for Double Income No Kids, something I just learned last night when listening to an interview with you, Sally. So thank you for that knowledge. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a DINK. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a DINK. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, okay. Congratulations, depending on how you look at it under the current situation. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been made crazy by the situation. We have a two-year-old toddler and then we have, a, we have our second on the way in three weeks. So. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, that is, that is wonderful. But in three weeks, that is uh, nerve-wracking for you right now. It, mm -hmm. it must be really frightening going to the hospital and doing all of that. I, I know a lot, of, a lot of friends who are in similar situations and it's not easy. But... 
Look, this is the beginning um, of, 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 a new, of a new norm here for me doing these interviews. So I want to share with my audience that uh, things are getting a little more real. So just imagine Sally and I uh, sitting outside a nice little cafe in the city of your choosing, just chatting it up, um, which should make you feel more at ease with any potential background sounds that sneak in. And perhaps it will make you escape your quarantine, quarantine a little bit. Um, that being said, Sally, you are in the business of dressing women for the workplace, a place many women who wear your outfits don't go to currently. So let's get this out of the way because I'm sure a lot of people will have the same questions. How has this pandemic impacted your company? And, and you personally, as you already mentioned, I mean, you're, you're, you're homeschooling, um, you're expecting another child. What is going on? I, I like to say that I'm prepared for everything. I have to say that this was a bigger curveball than I've ever gotten or ever expected to get, uh, especially as I was planning maternity leave. I mean, I'm just doing such different things than I anticipated doing going into that. So uh, in terms of how it's affected the business, uh, a couple of things. So one, we immediately shut all of our locations. So starting early March, I think it was March 12th, maybe was when mm -hmm. our first store closed. Um, and I think, It was shortly thereafter that we closed all of them. Uh, we closed San Francisco, New York, uh, LA, and DC. So as you can imagine, that has an immediate impact on revenue. Um, and then the fact that women are working from home. And, yeah. and I think just everyone's just trying to figure out what's happening and trying to get their arms around childcare and their own situation. Uh, we've definitely seen a decrease in in consumption uh, but we're already starting to see a rebound which is night <laughs> which is refreshing uh, yeah, a lot of women yeah. are, are, are coming to us because they are still working they're just working from home and they're on a lot of video calls so we're doing a lot of waist up dressing um, right. just, just but, like you and I are right now right I assume but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm in a full suit. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, of oh. course. Me too. I've got a tie. I've got a tie. Everything. Everything. <laughs> oh, and then I think the other piece is just uh, we have, this is our biggest year we've ever had. We had the biggest January and biggest February we've ever had. March was on, on track to be the biggest month of the year. Uh, this certainly um, prevented us from, from hitting our target. So we'd had to change our projections a little bit. Uh, it's been a lot of handholding with our team and, um, we have spring product that's sitting at the factory we manufacture in Manhattan. Uh, we it's done and it's ready and it's just unable to be moved because yeah. New York is on lockdown. I mean, there's so many changes. It's, it's really, it's really intense and everyone's going through it. So I think for us, like I'm cautiously optimistic. I actually think we're really well positioned. Uh, some of our customers are still going to work and it's a really stressful time and, and they're looking to us as, as an outlet for themselves. Um, yeah. You know, and we've just, we seek to serve as a resource in whatever way people need. Uh, some are starting to think about going back. I mean, it's, it's not going to last forever. So I think for us, it was, it was quickly hunkering down and making some really big choices and some really hard choices and doing those quickly and staying informed in terms of what sort of government relief is in place. Um, and at the end of the day, just trying to be available to our customers. And, and we, we cut back on all of our marketing because it feels, feels kind of insensitive right now, to be honest. Yeah, like, yeah. I, so that's, that's current state of affairs. It's, it's intense. And my husband and I actually are, um, 
he works at the company as well too. So we're both working and managing a child as well. So we're sort of in the same situation as everyone else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it easier to have empathy for what's, what's going on with your, with your tribe, with your customers. And I mean, you know, so many of them are like you, right. And, and, and they're homeschooling and, and all of a sudden, or, or, or maybe they even have been laid off. Right. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. sure there's, there's a percentage of that. Um, I know you stopped marketing, but are there any kind of um, ways that you react publicly um, to this with your brand? Like, are you? I, how 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 can you help these uh, these these women that are that are suddenly um, you know in, in in such a different uh, space? Do you, do you do anything as a brand, or is it really more like look? Yeah, is is it more the idea of um, hey, you know, we we give you that little bit of joy in your life right now, right? That splash of color mm -hmm. and that that idea that there is something around the corner. And you know you because I am sure that a lot of a lot of women would would appreciate you know getting um, you know ordering something from you now feeling like you know like they look great on a Zoom call or they they they, they are ready to go back into the workforce when the time comes. Yeah, I think um, our approach has been more pull and less push, if that makes sense. So yeah. making making things available um, to our customers, but not not sending out emails, not pushing things down their throat, like not, not being aggressive. We didn't send an email in terms of what our position is on COVID-19. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I, I don't really think people are interested in hearing about every single brand's thoughts on what's happening. Um, but, and I think like it, it's sort of, there's a, we're seeing a divide in terms of how our customer splits. I think for some, they have absolutely no interest in, engaging right now and for others it's I, I just got your electric pink blazer and i'm so happy working from home and it's been the bright spot in my day right um so so it's almost like we set up reminders you know that we're here so maybe like an instagram post but less frequent um maybe it's one-on-one -on -one outreach uh, in a way that we wouldn't wouldn't have done before um but i think from a brand perspective we've cut back a lot because it just feels insensitive in a lot of ways yeah um and i just feel like there's a lot more to lose than to gain and i, I want to make sure whatever we do is adding value to our community and uh so a lot of that has, has been more customized and individualized in in way like and about longer term thinking so we're thinking about marketing campaigns coming out of this or how we like come back and, and add value. But I think right now, like we're not really focused on our revenue goals or conversion or whatever. Like we're right. really focused on what do you need right now to survive? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. And it's and it's very much about um, you know, keeping keeping your employees and, you know, it's 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 a lot of it's yes. a lot of that uh, rather than adding more noise to the channels that all kind of say the same thing, you know. hundred um, percent. I, I totally I totally agree with you. Um so Argent, your your brand is is only four years young, and um, you're on the forefront of redefining women's workwear. Um, your brand states that it is uh, quote unquote bridging the workwear joy gap. How did you get there? I mean, you worked in tech for ten years at Cisco. Um, now you're knee deep in fashion, an industry you had no prior experience in. What was the moment where you realized that you had to get serious about turning this idea into a company? Yeah, this has been a personal pain point of mine across every industry, every city that I've lived in. They've all called for different dress codes. It's been such 
a headache and a like hassle to try and find something that I actually enjoy wearing, um, which I know sounds so simple, but like it really has been an underserved and ignored category. And so I, I mean, my mom will even speak to how I was frustrated at like the age of 20, you know, or 21 shopping for my first suit. Um, but it's just, it was constant. And so I worked, uh, I worked at companies that, that called for anything from a suit and then to tech, which was much more casual. Um, but still like, but recognize that like what I wore was still important. It communicates who I am, et cetera. And it just, it took so much more time than it should have from a really time constrained person. And my peer group, I felt like, like it was just a shared pain point. Um, but the catalyst for actually pursuing the idea was um, I read a study while I was working at Cisco's in 2014 that showed that women are judged based on appearance and they mm-hmm. quantified the impact of what you wear on your bottom line over your lifetime. And for me, that was really all I needed. That was that was it. I quit my job without having done anything. I just knew that there was a huge opportunity and I had a vision for making, um, basically, one, solving the the product side, but two, like really leveraging the brand to visually inspire women and working women specifically in a way that no one else was doing. No one was connecting with them. No one was like owning that audience. And I saw an opportunity to, to leverage our brand to inspire boldness and confidence and kind of an, you know, like an effort attitude and just, just go for it. Um, And so, yes, I quit and, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you, so you, you're a D2C brand first and foremost, but you're now also turning to more traditional retail. Um, so, 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 I mean, brand strategy must have been crucial for you from, 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 from the get-go because you're at a fairly, and I put fairly under parenthesis, um, high price point. So, so in reality, you're kind of like in the middle, right? So, so, mm-hmm. But you're, you're crushing it on catering to the modern office employee just as much as to powerful women um, in all kinds of public roles. I mean, we're talking about Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, Amy Perler, Aquafina, Chill Martin, Chinjasi, uh, people we all very much love, or some of us, or I hope we all do. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. How did you create uh, that extremely aspirational niche in the marketplace where you don't get stamped as either cheap workwear, which is so easy, right, uh, to, to fall into that, or, you know, too too aspirational, too luxurious of workwear? I mean, I mean, it is it is such a perfect niche that you that you covered. How did you how did you create this? I mean, there must have been a lot of strategy behind how to get there besides the price point. Yeah, I think uh, extensive market research up front. So understanding the competitive landscape, and that's where the pricing really came in. We backed into our price point because there were, uh, one, there was no single place that was solely focused on workwear. And so I knew right away, like that was a huge opportunity um, to start with the customer and make sure that we were solving based on customer needs, um, bringing in like our level of expertise uh, and marrying it and matching it with, with what we're hearing from the customer side. Um, but there were obviously like workwear options. They were all just not, not really meeting the needs of the, of the customer in my opinion, or like that's where the opportunity lied. So um, in t- terms of competitive landscape, we looked at low end, you know, brands and price point. We looked at higher end brands and price point and there is actually a gap exactly where we fall. Mm. There's no accessible price point. So that that was a starting point for us. Uh, 
We also conducted a 400, um, sorry, a 54 question survey to a sample size of 400 people to just glean more insight um, from the customer base that we were going after. I, I combed through census data to identify our go-to-market plan. And I think the most important thing really was about the brand and the underlying product and having a lot of exercises around that prior to launch. So what are our unique differentiators? What is our tone? What, what makes our product special? For us, it's um, functional, quality, stylish, accessible workwear. And that hasn't existed in the past. Um, and I think for, for me, like understanding and recognizing that my background isn't in fashion and immediately starting to hire based on that gap and looking at surrounding myself with people with the right level of experience. Um, so, you know, hired a designer that was based in New York that had, you know, and had built a team of designers since then, um, that had backgrounds in, in luxury design um and it's been exciting for them i think because they've really been designing more through like a fashion lens and we really have a purpose right um so yeah it was there were a lot of exercises i think that that led us to land where we did um prior to even launching which is still easier easier said and easy to look at data and then actually pulling it off. <laughs> so you make it sound so easy, but it, it's not. <laughs> and as, as part of your market survey, um, I, I, I heard that you, you, you said that in, in, a, in a prior interview that you learned that women's workwear is a 34.9 billion annual market spend in the US alone. Yes. It's, it's yes. insane. And, and then you also found out that women rate the experience of shopping for work clothes a 3.9 out of 10, which yes. is unbelievable thinking about how women, and not only women, love, love to shop for clothes. And it's usually a very satisfying uh, experience. And, and 3.9 out of 10 is horrifying. <laughs> yes. I, and and it, I could so relate to it. I mean, I just ha I remember so many times, like very last minute, I have a presentation tomorrow. I like, I have nothing to wear. Let me just run to like to wherever and buy something that I feel meh about wear it once. And it kind of sits in the bottom of my laundry hamper and I didn't feel great in it anyway. Like that is honestly the experience that every woman has had in the past. And, and that's a pretty big deal. I mean, I, you know, I, I can, I can attest to that from a, from a guy's perspective, which of course only counts 10% of a women's perspective on this, on this issue. But, you know, as, as a public speaker, you know, the idea of feeling confident on stage or, you know, or in, in front of any kind of presentation is so important, right? You don't even want to think about your clothes. You don't even want to think what you're wearing. You just want to feel great about yourself. So the, the way I solved it is a typical guy's way. I have 10 of the same shirt. <laughs> it's the exact yeah. same shirt. And so every yeah. single, but the problem is, uh, you know, if you if you put together a speaker reel, every single speech looks like I'm exactly at the same. <laughs> yeah, because I don't change my clothes. Um, I do. I do change my clothes, but you know what I mean. It, I, I'm wearing the exact same thing. Um, on 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 that topic um, of, of of niche um, niche fashion brand, I'm currently working with a founder on the launch of um, of, of a fashion brand called Model Canvas, and he's launching a line of jeans 
jeans for big guys. So it's mm. oversized jeans. And it is very much about body positivity while solving for an unseen and undervalued problem, right? And he's in midst of the fundraising game. And this is where the question <laughs> goes. Um, when you went out to get to get funding, you ended up, um, over time, of course, raising $6 million. Um, what do you feel of the many, many things that you said and that you did during your presentations won investors over the most? If you have to rerun all the pitches and wins in your head right now, what was that argument where you saw most of them click? Because I'm sure you can see it in their eyes, right? The second they are convinced. You know, what was one singular convincing point which may have well been the one I just pointed, you know, out about um, you know, the thirty-four nine billion, you know, market spend and, you know, the, the rating of, of the experience. But is there is there one is there one point where you feel like that was the one that every time you brought up that point, you know, investors were just like, okay, this sounds or is it not that easy? It's I I, I don't think it's that straightforward. Unfortunately I wish it was. I wish it was a silver bullet. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think um having your having your story like really really like uh polished and and thought you know thought through and just showing that you are the expert is really important um what i've learned is that every investor looks for something different and every investor cares about something different so the aha moment comes at different times for different investors and so and even i can just look at that gender specific um, to simplify it. Like for women, they understand the pain point and the problem and the opportunity intuitively because they've lived it for so long. And I think for, for male investors, I had to spend more time upfront, just talking through market size pain point, you know, what makes us different and unique. Um, Some investors are more analytical. And so they wanted to dive into the numbers and understand, okay, it's a huge opportunity, but like, how much of that can you actually capture and is your plan believable? And let me look at your projections and let's dive in. Um, Some want to look at the unit economics from like a customer perspective and understand what's your average order value, what's your lifetime value, what's your customer acquisition costs. So, and it also depends on different stages of the business too. Prior to launching, we obviously didn't have some of those metrics. So uh, that, that I think really boils down to having, the ability to paint a clear picture in terms of what you're building to support it with your advisor team, with your immediate team, um, with a fully baked plan as much as possible. So I think it it slightly depends on, on person and investor. It depends on your ability to like tell the story and then, uh, your ability to go deep wherever that person's interested in, in going deep. And how much did you research the personality of different investors? I mean, did you did you do some networking prior of uh, people that got funding or had presentations with these people, or did you not go that deep? Uh, not usually. I think I've done it long enough now that I, <laughs> <laughs> I just you 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 early on. I spent so much more time fundraising, and you learn over time how to be more efficient with it, and so. Now I'll definitely research the individuals that I'm talking to and I'll get an idea for how they tick. So sometimes I'll look at, you know, uh, if there's, if there are videos available of them, I'll just quickly listen to it and get an idea of who they are. Yeah. Um, but I would say that's probably my biggest skill is like networking and, and reading people. So, um, I've been able to lean on that heavily. 
See, and I thought it was because you knew how to dress for success, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think because I wasn't sure how to dress for success, I had to start this company. And well, exactly. It was pre, pre, pre-launch. Uh, let's, talk about, <laughs> let's talk about your brand launch. Um, you, you knew that you would be a D2C brand first and foremost, uh, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing you here. You had a pretty crappy website, right? Uh, you know, even, yes. even, even at the time of, of, of official launch, which is just insane thinking you come from 10 years of tech in Silicon Valley. But of course, your success was not based on insanity, uh, but very calculated uh, decisions. You launched your fashion brand at a conference. <laughs> tell, us, tell us more about that launch day strategy and the aftermath, because it's, it's absolutely mesmerizing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, a couple of things. So one, we were and always have been, like we still are resource constrained. And that's intentional because I think that Right now we are in a, not literally right now, but I think over the last like five or so years, it's been, D2C has been so attractive to investors and a lot of founders have just taken so much money and have been overfunded. And I think that really dilutes your ability to build like a genuine brand. And so we are always thinking about how we allocate our money in a way that allows us to learn as much as possible, connect with a customer as much as possible, add value as much as possible, um, and really like accelerate our path to like what our ultimate goal is, which is to be the go-to workwear brand and the workwear authority. So um, I think all that customer research I talked about and all the brand building exercises that we did allowed us to lay out a go-to-market strategy that made a lot of sense for us that wouldn't make a lot of sense for other retail brands. And I think that's what makes us special is, is our customer is a very specific customer. It's the professional woman. And we were thinking through like for launch, how do we find her and inherent in our model? Like we've always had a website granted very crappy early on. We've always had a, <laughs> we've always had a website, um, but we've also always believed in activating physical locations and interacting with the customer as much as possible as a way to learn and as a way to grow. And so um, we launched at a women's conference in San Jose, California, which these conferences are huge. They range in size from like 5,000 to 20,000 women. Uh, this was one that I had participated in while I was at Cisco. And historically they'd only had booths of, of huge companies that were sponsors. So like Google mm. would be there, or Pfizer or Cisco and JP Morgan, they're handing out stress balls and they're offering you like a couch to sit on or a granola bar. And, um, and women have carved out this day from on their calendar. They're not taking meetings and they, and it's a long day. And at some point, like they kind of want to, take a break. And so I just, I thought it would be cool to go there and create this really elevated, beautiful, like carved out retail experience uh, and just sell there and see what happened. And it was, it, it was such an awesome day. We were literally <laughs> unpacking product from the factory. It was our first day ever in business. We threw up a website because we felt obligated to, which was, I mean, functional at best. But not e-commerce um, at that time, right? It was just, it was just a, a splash page. It was, no, it was, e it was e commerce. Oh, you good. Could, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It was on Shopify. It was functional. Yeah. Enough. Um, but we sold in like one day somewhere in the range of twenty-five to $30,000 um, worth of product. And Unbelievable. The, val 
It was unbelievable. I mean, the validation and just the, there were like women were physically reacting to the functional aspects of our products. So things like interior pockets or a jumpsuit that has a back tuck. So you don't have to take the whole thing off to use the restroom. Um, so it, it definitely was the right move. And I think it was a great, it was a great like validating first step. Um, unbelievably unbelievably smart right and i think that that to me that, that is so important and not like how did other how did other companies launch let's do it the same way how did other fashion mm -hmm. brands do it right but but the idea of like who is our customer where are they and where can we where can we meet them when they really want to be distracted by a brand like us right and i i think it's just it's just brand poetry that launched so i i, I just love that and then i guess you you rushed you and i think your your husband at the time was running back and forth um, to get more clothes out of the U-Haul van outside the conference or something like that, right? It was crazy. It was so very good. far away and he's a runner and he was exhausted <laughs> by the end of the day. It was insane. That is so good. That is so good. Uh, it's nice to look back at days like that during a, <laughs> during, during a month like this one. Um, but but that's really, really cool. Um, I looked at your Instagram um, a little bit more um, the last couple of days, and the hashtag is currently ambition suits you. Um, mm -hmm. So storytelling is obviously key with any brand, uh, but Argent is uh, doing a very good job with it. Let's talk about the bigger why behind the brand. On your site, you tease with a line that states radical equality from pockets to paychecks. How does your brand see its social mission and, and, and how, does it, how does it work it out? Yeah, so uh, prior to launch, I mentioned this, but like I, and this certainly again stems from my experience, I, I saw an opportunity to build a brand that helped women through their careers no matter what their goal is, like we want to be here and we want to be a resource to you. During my time in tech, I worked on a team that was 95% male, 5% female, and I was one of the more senior females. I saw a lot and I saw a lot of initiatives around, um, you know, helping women and helping support women, helping get more women into the workforce. But um, a lot of them felt a little bit directionless. And so our goal really is to serve as a resource. Um, so the way that we've brought that to life are through events that we host. And we see now an opportunity to scale this, which we'll be doing over the next year or two, um, you know, beyond just physical interactions. But we, one, I think it, it lives in the brand. Uh, I think that the clothes are a physical reminder of who we are. Um, they're, intended to give you confidence they're intended for you not to have to think about what you're wearing when you show up mm -hmm. um, and they're intended to be a reminder that like there's a small army behind you even if we're not physically there when you're asking for the raise or you know making the biggest presentation of your life or interviewing for your dream job right um i think in terms of of uh events though like we offer events and the goal is to One, bring together men and women. So we include, like, our, our brand is fairly and intentionally androgynous. Um, we really... So glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> well, we, we really believe that um, we, can, we can impact gender uh, equality. Um, and the way that we see ourselves doing that is by involving men in the conversation. And so we host events. We invite men and women from our network 
we sell, we have drinks, we have fun. It's a really like lively and exciting environment, which I think, you know, aligns with the brand that we're building, but we also always have an activity, um, that is, is actionable on an individual level. So, Hmm. um, we, we hosted a, a speed negotiating event where we brought in six executives that you would never get FaceTime with. We had a facilitator and then individuals would sit down. You would get a negotiating planning document and you'd sit for four minutes with each coach and you'd learn how to use the document. You'd learn how to manage a salary negotiation. You'd learn how to manage a vendor negotiation and you'd walk away with that document to use in every negotiation going forward. And um, you could cater those conversations to your own individual career. We hosted a financial literacy planning training um, event a lot. And then some as simple as like a headshot event, you know? So um, that those are the ways that we are really bringing our values and our mission to life, I would say. And yeah. then I, I think that things as simple as having a website and shooting real women, like we shoot women from our community that you wouldn't necessarily know by face, but you know, their work. And like, we just want, you to see yourself when you open up our website um and so uh, things as simple as that are different and are special (laughs) like because we we haven't had that for you know a long time so um yeah i think those are just some some examples of of what we're doing to really um help change help change the the status of women and gender Absolutely. And I mean, let's not let's not forget, you're a very young company, right? So, so you spent the first years really focusing on getting the product right, getting the market fit right, making sure there is a tribe. Um, and, and now this really can be a springboard to so much more, right? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's amazing what kind of opportunities a brand like yours, the way that you positioned, um, th- that you have now, right? So I, yeah. I think that, you know, the future is bright. <laughs> there's a lot. Thank that you. Can, there's a lot that can happen with that. Um Let's go all the way back to the very beginning of um, of, 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 of the, the, the brand, the actual name, Argent. Where, where did the name come from? I, I, can't, I can't put the two together. My great-grandfather started a company uh, in the early 1900s, Argent uh, Lumber, actually. And oh! Yeah. <laughs> and he was a huge inspiration of mine. I obviously never met him. Um, our lives, unfortunately, did not overlap, but he was an entrepreneur through and through and was it was just something that I've had since I was born, you know, and um, it was not the obvious first choice. It, we spent like weeks mm-hmm. and weeks of brainstorming names, but we kept coming back to Argent because it was simple and it was strong and it meant something to me, but it didn't mean something to everyone. Um, so that's it. That's well, the, that's the name. after this podcast airs, it will mean lumber to everyone. <laughs> 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 I am sorry. <laughs> I hope not. Hope it means, means accessible, functional, personal work clothes. <laughs> and, and I mean, this is nitty gritty, and it's totally pointless to even talk about it. But I'm personally interested. So, so since he uh, owned the brand uh, Argent, was this still a trademark? I mean, this is a long time ago. And how about the .dot com? Like, was it something that was already in other people's hands? We're ArgentWork.com. So there ah. are. He no, his company is way too old for there still to be an issue, and we're in a different category. Um, but there, there are a couple of companies that are named Argent, but they're all in different, they're all in different categories. Okay. So, yeah. 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 
Um, let's let's just for one quick second entertain me. Let's talk about your logo. Um, this is a branding mm. podcast, and even though the logo is only a small part of your brand, I am going there. Um, <laughs> you have a you have a typographic treatment, but then you also have the uppercase letter A, which is kind of like an icon now, um, with what could be seen as an exclamation mark, but on the left. So fill us in a little bit of like what what the thought process are, uh, you know, like like where 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 the logo came from. Yeah, so we did, I think, way more than most startups in terms of like brand exercise, developing our logo, our font, our typeface. Everything was, you know, started in 2015 and then it's been an evolution. Uh, the logo was something that um, we worked with a branding agency on. And I like, I love it for so many reasons. So it's a dot dash. Um, it represents one, you can type it on your keyboard, yeah. which I think is really fun and quirky and funny given that we're going after the office. Um, two, it's, it's bold, it's elevated and it's also a conversation starter. So um, the backslash is a conversation starter. It's like an opener versus yeah. doing it the other way and having a period and just ending it. Um, so it's inviting and it, in some ways it's just kind of quirky, which is what we are. So I just, it's strong and it, it works for us. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. What, what, and, and let's, 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 now we zoomed in to the logo. Now let's take a huge step back and, and, and think about branding. Um, obviously you're, you're a D2C, you're a retail brand. Um, branding is super important to you. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, branding was very important to you from the very get go. And you did a lot of exercises early on where other startups failed to do that. Um, Shame on them, by the way, but that's very selfish of me to say. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, what does what does branding mean to you, Sally? I mean, especially after you know after your journey from from a very corporate job, um, doing a lot of like you know thinking about operations, doing a lot, a lot of financial you know um, uh, you know jobs in, in in your background, and now suddenly going into retail, which is like the brand, you know, like the, the you know the, the biggest point of brands really where you can go. What does what does branding mean to you overall? I am a huge believer in brand and brand building. So, and I think you can see that um, with what we've built. Yeah, I think that it is an undervalued area of the company um, for a lot of startups. And if if overlooked, it's not something that you can correct. Like you can't grow a team and then get your arms around brand. It doesn't work like that. So, to me, like brand is just the it's almost like the visual manifestation of who you are at your core and what values you want to portray. And at every touch point that a customer has or an individual has with your brand, like it should be consistent, it should convey exactly what we want it to. And so it's anything from tone and voice um, uh, values, what we stand for, what we don't stand for. Um, it's colors. It's, it can be as simple as color. Uh, it can be, you know, logo and fonts. Um, but I think what it all boils down to is like, you are like, I almost see the brand as like an individual, you know? Um, and I think for us, like we, from day one, like we have not deviated from one, who we are and two, like where we're going. And the brand is a way for us to communicate that. And like, we've put guardrails around 
it every step of the way. And as I mentioned, like we've refined it and I think that it's gone from a bigger funnel to like a much tighter funnel in a great way. I think, it, and I think that's natural and I think that's healthy. Um, but it hasn't changed what we stand for. And I think like the value in that is that customers are drawn to that. They recognize like that it's authentic and that it's us and you can see what we stand for. And I think in some ways, like we've taken risks with it because we're willing to dress someone that's quote unquote controversial, like Hillary Clinton, which is crazy to me, but you know, like we're, we're willing to put, our name on things that are potentially like perceived as political, which somehow like the women's conversations become politicized, you know? So, so like we are really clear about who we are and what we stand for. And maybe some of the decisions we make alienate people, but it doesn't matter to me because we have such a loyal following and that following only becomes more loyal by us being true to who we are. It has been interesting. Like since we've launched, we've seen, some brands try and copy what we're doing and it just doesn't work like that. Like customers Mm -hmm. can sniff out inauthenticity like in two seconds and just to try and like take pieces of a brand and apply it to what you're building. Like it's, it comes off as really disjointed and broken. Um, So yeah, brand in my opinion is, is invaluable. I think that we have so much brand equity now from really having invested in it and really having spent time on cultivating it and bringing it to life. and I think there are like more companies that overlook branding, brand exercises and don't do it, sort of ignore it, um, than there are ones that actually spend time and resources on it. Um, I don't think we've seen a ton of great, strong brands come out in the last five, 10 years, but the ones that have are just excellent, you know? I totally agree. I totally agree with with every single thing that you said, <laughs> which is not shocking at all. But um, no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. There were there were so many things in there. I, I could actually, I, I could have follow up questions to to every single sentence you just put out there. But I know we're running out of time, so we can't do that. But what is what is one single word? Um, in which you could describe your brand. So I'm thinking about Everlane being transparency and Coca-Cola standing for happiness. And like, I, I call it your brand DNA. What would be one word that Argent would stand for? Confidence. Love it. Yes. Confidence and joy, right? Confidence first. Um, yeah. That's absolutely okay. great. That that to me is our ultimate filter. It's um, It's literally why we exist we want to give you confidence through our product we want to give you confidence through our brand we want to give you confidence through literally every single thing that we um put in front of you and just the way that you said this now this is why this is so important to be able to know your brand so much that you can actually funnel it into one singular word because everything you do may be a blog post an instagram post if it doesn't go back to that word then it shouldn't be out there Right, and I, yes. I think I think that's why your brand is a little bit on the quiet side throughout this crisis now, because you don't have something that co- can go right right against that, uh, that 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 pain point or your you know your brand uh, your brand's true north. I I I absolutely I, I absolutely um, think that this is so so crucial for anyone. All right, we're running we're running out of we're running out of time. Um, I would love to hear from you if there's any piece of brand advice um, that you might have for founders as a takeaway 
takeaway? You already gave us a, a, a <laughs> lot of them, right? But is there anything that as you as you worked on your brand for the last four or five years, um, was there anything where you say, you know what, that, that's something that I learned that I, I would just love for founders not to make that mistake, perhaps even brand related? Yeah, so, uh, oh man, I have so many different answers for that. I think investing early in brand, which I obviously said before, but uh, recognizing how important that is and, and stepping up and making the investment because it can be perceived as expensive early on in the startup. And I just, I find it to be so invaluable um, for us. Like we've always had a brand book since before launch that we share with every individual that starts working at the company. We share with every agency partner that we bring on and it's a way to stay really tight um, in terms of like messaging and, and, you know, visual assets, et cetera. So I think that the, having that filter in place is really important. Um, and it inspires excitement and passion, you know, from the inside. Uh, I think it, the other piece is just to follow your gut. So early on it, for our, like all of our imagery, all of our campaign imagery, all of our e-com imagery, we were using models and it just, it didn't feel quite right to me. Um, because they didn't, they, they were not an, a, like a visual representation of like the working woman. I, I didn't identify with them, um, but it was kind of what was done. So I think that like, you know, I've, I've gone against the norm every single step of the journey, but here is one area that I was like, okay, like we have to use models. We just have to, you know? Yeah. And we changed, we changed that a couple of years ago and I've never been more relieved and happier in my life. And I've always wanted it. Um, but I've always succumbed to the pressure of, of not doing it. And so that was a mistake that we made along the way. Everyone's going to make mistakes. But I think if you just are constantly focused on evolving and improving your brand and tightening it up and iterating on it based on what you're hearing from feedback um, with from your community, um, that you can't go wrong. And sorry, I'm, I know it's a long answer. The last piece is... Oh, keep um, going. We've, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've definitely sacrificed revenue um, for some... Uh, due to some brand decisions. So um, we've been approached by a number of brands to do partnerships. We, we have not done those um, for the most part this year. We're actually just starting to launch a couple of partnerships that are so perfect for our brand, but it took me like a few years to be comfortable with um, identifying who was right for us. And like in saying no to partnerships that definitely would have driven, you know, top line results. Um, and I think the other is just like, in more, like more broadly, it's just being comfortable saying no to things that compromise your brand in any regard. I am a very much a purist when it comes to brand, but I think the second that you concede on anything that there's no going back. Um, and the last piece is we don't discount as a brand. So that's something that I won't budge on. And I think that that, I think that it's different for every company, but for me, that just shows that you don't value your brand and your product. So. 
We long see, answer. <laughs> we see eye to eye with so many of these things. I, you know, just you know, saying no was my biggest miss. Uh, my 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 biggest mm-hmm. thing that I didn't do throughout my entire agency life. Like for twelve years, I just said yes to everything because it was also oh exciting. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, after after that first decade in business, um, I started to say no to everything besides a couple of things. And opportunities just opened up, right? Because you you say yes to yes. the right things. I think it is so it is so important. Um, yes. You said yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, female listeners or those who identify as such who fell in love with your brand, uh, where can they get dressed for success currently? Where can they find you? I know obviously your retail stores are at the time where, where this is airing, which is going to be um, in two weeks from now, um, they will they will most probably still be closed. Um, but for now, they can go on, online. Yes, so argentwork.com and then on Instagram we're Argent. Perfect. Or Twitter or Facebook. Argent across all all social media platforms. Awesome. Very good. Well, Sally, thank you so much for having taken the time to share your story and amazing, amazing, amazing branding insights with us, especially under your less than ideal circumstances right now. <laughs> we we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on. This has been refreshing in light of everything that's happening so i very much appreciate it oh i'm i'm glad thank you i hope you enjoyed this just as much as i have if so please do give the show a quick rating i do appreciate it the hitting the mark theme music was written and produced by happiness one i will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark